welcome to the Evidence Informed Teaching Podcast. Are you a teacher wanting to improve your classroom practice and deliver excellent teaching through access to research? Do you have a passion for teaching and are looking to connect with other like-minded colleagues through professional discussions? The Charter College has partnered with TeacherTap to support teachers to deliver excellent teaching through access to research and we invite you to be part of this community. On this podcast you will hear from fellow teachers, research experts and you have the opportunity to be part of this professional discussion. You can find out more about the Charter College of Teaching and TeacherTap in the show notes and if you find this episode helpful why not share it with a teacher friend take a screenshot and post it on your social media or even better leave us a five-star written review hi everyone welcome to this podcast all about impact the charter college of teachings practitioner journal i'm alice and i'm head of content at the charter college of teaching i'm joined by professor david leet who is Professor of Curriculum Innovation at Newcastle University, Bathsheba Wells-Dion, who's an early career teacher of English at a school in Bristol, and she's a Charter College member who has written for the latest issue of Impact, Vic Cook, who is Education and Research Project Specialist at the Charter College of Teaching, and who has also written for the most recent issue of Impact, as well as past issues, and Phoebe Dry, who's publishing manager at the Charter College and who manages the development of each issue. Phoebe, could you please tell us a bit about IMPACT in terms of its aims? IMPACT is the termly journal of the Charter College of Teaching. It connects research findings to classroom practice with a focus on the interests and voices of teachers and educators. It supports the teaching community by promoting discussion around evidence within the classroom and enabling teachers to share and reflect on their use of research. Each peer-reviewed issue is themed around a critical topic for practitioners with a guest editor who is a specialist in the field. All our issues feature a wide range of original research articles and expert perspectives from teachers, school leaders and academics. Impact is produced in print and online with extra features available online. Thanks very much, Phoebe. And it's um it's published termly, so three times, three times a year it comes out. And I think that peer review process is very important for the journal. It really helps us to make sure articles are relevant for teachers as well as accurate. Let's talk now about why impact is useful and important for teachers. And Bathsheba, could we come to you first as a Charter College member who's who's read impact? What do you enjoy about impact? I think one of the things that I really like about impact is like Phoebe was saying, the way that it bridges that often quite difficult divide between the theory and the research and then things that you can put into practice in the classroom. I think that makes it different from a lot of other publications or from other sources of information for teachers so I might go to blogs for things like resources or lesson plans or ideas for things like that but one of the things that I like about impact is the way that it takes quite a conceptual approach sometimes and that helps you to think about more critically about why am I doing this in the classroom though or what is the evidence behind this and so it kind of fills that that bridge really neatly. And Vic, would you echo that as well as a former teacher who read Impact and, and wrote for Impact before joining the Charter College as a 
in the research department. Absolutely. Unfortunately, impact was um, before my time while I was teaching, so I didn't have that resource. But when when impact came into being, um, I was actually working as a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Cambridge. And for me, uh, working within educational research and as a former teacher myself, it filled a really needed gap to bridge that research practice divide and enable the sometimes convoluted research findings to be made accessible, but but really most importantly to have sort of their relevance for the classroom developed and teased out in a way that that really speaks to teachers. Yeah, especially as an early career teacher as well, always being asked to reflect on our teaching practice, to try out new ideas, and impact is a really helpful resource for that because it's always good to see what are other teachers doing in the classroom and the way that it's different phases, different subjects as well. It brings that all together in one place pretty handily. And David, um, could I ask what role do you think impact plays in, in educational publishing more broadly? How is it different from academic journals, for example? Uh, it is interesting to reflect that some academic journals are moving in a kind of similar direction from an opposite place in the sense that they are developing practitioner features so that's something that's happening with a curriculum journal and I think it reflects that the gap that there is between the readership of academic journals and many practitioners it's not to say that academic journals don't have uh, a really important part to play but I think uh, not least in the last 10, 20 years, there have been a number of disincentives to both teachers in training and early career teachers, in fact, all teachers, to engage with academic journals. So anything that helps uh, make research and, and just wider frames available to a wider audience, I think is incredibly helpful. And Vic, what about your experience as an author? How have you found the, the experience of writing for impact and, and being published? Quick, um, which is refreshing, uh, coming from academia, where the process is uh, painstakingly slow, uh, which in turn feeds into the relevance of, of everything that impact publishes, because that with that quicker turnaround, you're able to reflect and um disseminate findings in a much more timely manner that then feeds into professional learning in a way that has genuine impact, hence obviously the title. But so for me, that has always been one of the largest draws of writing for impact, that that sense that actually the findings are able to to reach the people for whom it really matters in a timely manner. Thank you. And, and Bathsheba, why did you submit to impact? I actually found the whole process actually quite helpful personally. So the fact that it's, you've got those different styles of articles, the case study or the research, and the way that's framed around questions that get you to really reflect on what it is that you're trying to say about education or what that experience was in the classroom. So I found that whole process of writing the article it, itself actually really helpful for solidifying in my mind what it was that I thought or having that chance to reflect on some of those things that had happened the way that I was using the research any assumptions that I made so that was really good and also I think I was just drawn to the the topic of it as well so curriculum something that I'm really interested in especially oracy as an English teacher 
and so having the chance to contribute to that, but also to be part of that kind of collection of voices, there's something really appealing about. And I guess just sort of building on that, um, the idea that actually the peer review process in itself is is really important to to developing your thinking, your findings, um, whatever particular angle your your article takes. Um, I think you know the quality of the peer review process is is really important to the overall quality of the articles that are produced. Thank you. Yeah, we we certainly see the peer review process as a kind of as a way to try and support authors as much as possible and just provide feedback that will will help to develop the article as well as help to make it as useful as possible for other practitioners. And that's something we're always always looking for when when reading the articles and and selecting them to go into the issue is is how how useful this might be for others and to really get that range of views and voices. And as you mentioned, Bashiba, your article and the particular theme of the issue, it will be good to talk a bit more now about issue 18 of impact, which is the most recent one. Um, and this is quite a special issue because it's part of a broader project. And we're working in collaboration with the Helen Hamlin Center for Pedagogy at UCL. Um, on a project called Rethinking Curriculum. And the project aims to support and equip teachers and school leaders with the knowledge and skills to identify, plan, and implement curriculum development work in a sustainable, context-specific and impactful way, meaning that all peoples have access to an expansive and inspiring curriculum that connects them with local communities, and enables them to lead healthy and fulfilled lives. So this issue is part of that broader project. And with the support of the Helen Hamlin Trust, um, we're able to send this issue to every school in the country. As with all issues of impact, it's filled with research articles, as well as case studies and teacher reflections. And we really hope it will help to promote discussion um, in schools across the country. Uh, Phoebe, as you've uh, curated this issue and read all of the articles, could you tell us a bit more about how it's organised and the main themes of the issue? The issue is divided into four main sections. So the first section focuses on collaboration and whole school impact. So this section includes collaborative approaches school leaders have taken to affect change in their curriculums and their approaches to curriculum. The second section focuses on creativity mainly um, and knowledge and learning. Um, and this includes creative approaches to the curriculum, creative leadership and integrating creativity across all subjects and phases and also encouraging um, pupils to be creative in their exploration of the curriculum as well. The third section um, looks at well-being in the wider curriculum, which references pertinent topics such as sustainability, education and integrating well-being into the curriculum. The fourth and final section looks at innovative approaches to curriculum planning specifically including subject-specific articles from teachers who have put a great deal of ingenuity and planning into implementation in their classrooms. Wonderful, that sounds fascinating. Thank you. And it's the 10th of May, is that right, that members and schools will receive this issue? Wednesday the 10th of May, yeah. 
And the online issue will also be live then for members. That's a good point. And we always have more um, articles in the in the online issue as well. Vic, you're working on research for the Rethinking Curriculum project with colleagues from UCL, and you've written about that for issue 18. Could you tell us a bit more about that article and your research? In order to understand more about the process of curriculum planning and design in primary schools today, including the difference between schools' ideal and implemented curricula, who is involved in curriculum planning and design and the barriers that schools currently face, we conducted an exploratory survey online with staff working across a range of primary school settings and analysed the responses from, from this particular survey. Now, whilst that survey covered a lot of different uh, issues, the particular article um, in this issue focuses on teachers' descriptions of their ideal curricula. And we're really driven to think about how we can ensure that all pupils can have access to an inspiring, expansive curriculum that improves their learning. And how can we ensure that teachers and school leaders have the confidence to make decisions about the curriculum based on the most up-to-date research? However, um, looking at the literature on curriculum, there are many different definitions of curriculum, and it is quite a complex, contested area. So according to the framework that we used in our analysis, um, respondents most commonly described their ideal curriculum as learner-centred. So such a curriculum, uh, respondents suggested, should be relevant to both the pupils and the community in which they live, whilst helping to develop pupils intellectually, personally and socially. And the findings also suggest that it's important for a curriculum to make coherent links between the different subjects and experiences that are encountered. And um, finally, the emphasis um, placed on experiential learning also came through really strongly in the survey findings, which highlights the importance of a curriculum that provides a range of experiences, both inside and outside the classroom. Fascinating, thank you. And Bathsheba, could you tell us a bit about your article in this issue? Yeah, of course. So as, as English teachers, we do a lot of discussion, teaching discussion, because it's so important for students to develop their ideas, to hear other ideas and to get that sense of debate and argument that they need when they write about text or they complete their own writing. And so as I was thinking about how to teach that, We've also got this whole school kind of push at the moment on teaching good speaking and good listening. So really modeling to students, well, what does it mean to listen well to other people? What does it mean to articulate your ideas or to have a good conversation? And at the same time, I was doing my own reading into, well, what do we mean by student voice then? What does it mean to speak as a student? What does it mean to listen to students and genuinely take on board their ideas and their, what they're trying to tell us essentially? And through that, I was really interested in the fact that a lot of researchers are taking a slightly different or more expansive view of student voice. So it's not just literally the content of the things that they say, but the way they say it, the things that they don't say, or the way that students attribute different meanings to words that maybe we don't as teachers or as adults. And so what I was thinking about in my classroom is how to give students that opportunity to speak in a way that feels authentic to them and in a way that gives them the space so that it's not just mediated through me as the teacher, the person with the authority saying, well, now you speak and now you speak and that makes a good comment and that's not a good comment and being that kind of arbiter of what is 
the right thing to say in the classroom. And so with my my mentor at the time, we were thinking about ways to set them up with those skills that they do need rather than just kind of throwing them out and saying, right, go on, then have a chat and see what happens. Setting them up with those skills that they would need to have a, a decent discussion that is purposeful, that's going to take them somewhere interesting, and also that helps them to actually listen to each other, actually build on ideas, challenge, ask questions well, and things like that. And so in the article, I've included some of the resources that we use. So in particular, the listening ladder, that's something that we're using as a school as well. So modeling, what does it explicitly, what does it look like to be a good listener? Are you sitting still? That's a very basic requirement. Are you, you know, looking at the person who's speaking? Are you able to summarize other people's ideas? Giving them sentence stems as well, because as much as I think we want students to develop their own voice, it can be quite daunting if students don't feel comfortable speaking in the wider classroom setting so giving them that as a stepping stone to develop their own views and what we found through that was that actually it's something that students really enjoyed were really keen to do um, they want to share their ideas they've often got really interesting ones and so the example that I use in my article is with my year seven class and we were looking at quite a complex text it's a short story called brownies which has a lot of quite intense themes some quite complicated themes for 11 year olds to do with racism or disability or the intersection between those things your inherited issues of trauma and things like that and actually by taking that time with them and really carefully building up those skills giving them that practice they were able to discuss really sensitively and really thoughtfully some quite complex ideas and it was really exciting for me as a teacher to actually be able to step back and not say anything in that conversation and just to see what they came up with when they were talking directly to each other. So that is the, the case study that is in my article. Thank you. So interesting. And, and what sort of advice would you give to maybe other practitioners who are thinking of, of adopting that approach? Do you have any sort of key takeaways for them? I think my two key takeaways were firstly that it needed a lot of practice and it needed a lot of laying the ground work so we didn't necessarily jump into everyone in the class no hands up talk to each other we started off with smaller groups so naming five students which also helps you to kind of give everyone a chance to get involved to bring those students in who might not volunteer themselves and having other people listen and then reflect on well what made that a good conversation what did you see that student doing that showed that they were listening or what was effective about the way they were speaking to each other. And from those smaller group discussions, building up to the bigger ones, so they practice using the sentence stems, embedding that in conversations anyway, even when it's not a full discussion, when we're doing, you know, just an introductory starter, 30 second think pair share at the start. If you're giving your ideas, you also say, well, I agree with what so-and-so said, or I want to build on that idea, even when we're not doing a discussion in that explicit way. So that would be my first takeaway is, give it time and give it the practice and my second thing I think would be to not be too alarmed if it goes a bit wrong because there were definitely a few conversations especially when they get more confident and they have a lot to say and they are very very especially if you're seven keen to say it immediately there are a few discussions where like five people will try and talk at once and then they'll try and like figure it out between themselves like who's turn is it and they're still trying to say what they want to say and it can get a bit messy but actually giving them the space to work that out did does work because they will 
they kind of developed their own skills for doing that, which was kind of what I wanted them to do. So they've taken the skills that I've given them. And then through talking to each other, they figured out, right, well, we're going to need a system for who speaks when. And I'm just going to number, right, one, two, and three, off you go. And they kind of moderated it themselves, which was very cute and also very fun to watch. And Vic, I know you've, you've done uh, previous work on cultural literacy learning in schools and oracy. So I'm sure a lot of that resonates with you and your experience. Absolutely. And I think actually listening to the process that, that you went through there is really useful um, and being able to read about that, you know, as well is, is really important because, as you said, it is a process and it can be quite daunting at the beginning to relinquish that control and to place that to, to place your students in that position where actually you don't know what direction the conversation is going to take. and but it's a kind of process of shifting the power relations in your classroom in a way. And that in and of itself is, well, I wonder how you found that actually in terms of your relationship with the class now moving forward. Do you think that, that, that there, there has been a shift in that regard? Yeah, I think it has been interesting. And especially as an early career teacher as well, because that was last year, my first year of teaching, there can be that sense of, well, am I the authority? Like you're kind of coming into the role of being a teacher. And so I think it was interesting at doing it at that point in my career because you're right, there was that tension there between, well, I want to be the teacher who's in charge and has control of the situation, but also negotiating that with students. And I think maybe it did make them more confident in questioning things and pushing back against that, for better and for worse, um, because students will ask the difficult questions. But I also kind of wanted to invite that in a way, especially when we are having conversations about like the topics that I described, if we're talking about racism, if we're talking about issues that students might have experienced, when we later in the year came on to topics where students were, for example, writing letters about issues that they felt were important, issues that they wanted to tackle in school and wider. I hope that it kind of made them feel a bit more emboldened in that, that their ideas weren't going to be shot down, that they had that practice of developing that authentic voice. So when they come to write it, they've got that confidence with, well, I, I can be part of this discussion and I know how to articulate ideas and I know how to put forward that argument myself. Yeah, and it's changing the mindset, isn't it, as well, from sort of um, my idea, I'll keep it to myself, to actually, you know, something that we can share and develop together and, and ideas are there to be tweaked and teased and built upon and questioned and and that's a really rich culture to develop in a classroom and I think is a really important skill set to, to ground um, moving forwards for, for, for you and your students. Yeah definitely it has like you say with the power dynamics as well it is challenging in a good way as a teacher to have to question sometimes your position in the classroom and the way that we are part of that discussion as well right so as much as it's students talking to each other we're a person in that room too and the way that they see us engaging in discussion moderating discussions or not is really important for them and also I think you described towards the end that you heard your students themselves moderating the discussions you know and working out how they were going to organize things and actually I think that's a really important process in the scaffolding that you sort of you provide those prompts you provide those sentence stems to begin with but actually as those get taken away and the children take more responsibility for the ownership of their discussions you know that's as we've said you know, it's really empowering 
Yeah, um, student voice is certainly a very important uh, theme in, in this issue. And I think it really um, showcases teachers as curricula makers, um, which is a point that, that you make, David. David Leet guest edited this issue and has written a brilliant editorial that really draws together the main themes of the issue. And could you tell us more about it, David? Well, I think, first of all, uh, I think what Bathsheba has been talking about is a really critical aspect of um, both pedagogy and curriculum. And that is, you know, she's shifting the dial somewhat with her students away from them being a class of just 25 or 30 individuals in the direction of them becoming a community of learners in which they begin to recognize that school and achievement is not just about what I can do in subjects and in exams, but is about learning to work with and from others, because that's such a critical part of learning to be not only a kind of successful student, but a successful person. And I think an, another thing that this really demonstrates is the importance for young teachers, and indeed for all teachers, to have the opportunity to be part of the process of developing and creating curriculum. Teachers are curriculum makers. That opportunity has been, you know, somewhat undernourished in, in recent years and needs to be reactivated. And I think this, this edition is part of that process. If, if we really reach back into the, the middle of the last century, there's the famous Lawrence Stenhouse quote, that there's no curriculum development without teacher development. And I think to some extent we can turn that on its head. And I would argue that there's no teacher development without curriculum development, because that is such a vital part in developing insights and ownership. If, if you don't sort of start at the basics of what it is you're trying to do through your teaching, then there's really something missing in guiding the students towards what it is you want them to achieve. And I think that's that's really many useful things demonstrated just in that one article. Thanks, David. And you also make the point that England is sort of different to other countries in, in the way that curriculum is, is sort of conceptualised as well. Could you say a bit about that? Yes. Well, I think many people recognise that there has been a tendency towards relying upon exam scores as a proxy for quality of education and a very strong emphasis, particularly in the last 10 years, on the curriculum being built around subjects and subjects being seen as cultural capital. And I do not wish to deny the importance of subjects because they do represent a really important uh, heritage and ways of thinking about the world. But of course, as, as the whole edition exemplifies, there are other important outcomes from curriculum, not least the, the, the development of the whole person. And you can see in quite a few of the papers that there are teachers and schools straining at the leash to develop those other aspects beyond the importance of subject knowledge. And in, in terms of becoming the best person that you can be and that's both as an individual and, and you know working through others and at the moment although countries go in different directions at different times 
England is a bit of an, an outlier on the spectrum in terms of being very much based around subjects and judging curriculum by subject knowledge. And there's, I think, the idea of spaces in school and in the school curriculum to develop the other aspects of uh, curriculum outcomes, whether it's to do with vocationalism or tackling societal issues and problems. And um, Vic was making the, the very interesting connection towards community, the importance of community in education and curriculum development, and not least helping young people to find their talents, because I think that's one thing that's often missing in terms of their developing their identity and their aspirations. It's actually finding out what they're good at. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, point to end on. And we're really looking forward when this issue comes out on the 10th of May to hearing what our members and everyone else who receives the issue thinks of it. So please do look out for it and share it with your colleagues. And um, thank you to everyone for, for joining us, for talking about impact and your articles and the issue. And to listeners who are not yet members of the Chartered College, um, if you join as a member, you'll be able to read issue 18 and all back issues of impact. If you have enjoyed today's episode and would like to access more research evidence for your classroom, you can join the Chartered College of Teaching for as little as $1.96 per month at www.chartered.college. And remember to download TeacherTap free from your app or Play Store to share your views, opinions and experiences from the classroom. Every voice makes the picture clearer.